The old saying is, it's the world's oldest profession. But most women's advocates will tell you it's not a profession at all. It's something that many women are forced into, either by pimps and traffickers, or by circumstances that are often beyond their control. Things like extreme poverty, addiction, or mental health issues. Whatever the reason a woman ends up in the sex trade, there is one truth that stands above all others. Sex trafficking is driven by one thing. This is basic economics. If there's no demand, there's no need for supply. Demand. The demand from men to be able to buy sexual services for money. That is the focus of this, the third and final episode in our series, Trafficking 401. Here's your host, Craig Needles. It should be harder now than ever to plead ignorance. Public awareness campaigns, media stories, even podcasts like this one should be showing people that buying sex from women who are being trafficked has devastating consequences. So why do mostly men continue to do this and how should we stop it? Advocates say it starts with ending the demand. Carolyn P. Roberts is a survivor of sex trafficking who is now an organizer with the Salvation Army Sex Buyers Accountability Program. So people always say, why didn't she leave? By that stage, because this was eight years of being trafficked. So I ran to a women's shelter. And when I got there, they told me they had no room for me. So I had to go back. But now he's pissed. Okay. He's really angry. And now I'm, there's so many times like, um, I, at one point I said to him, I can't do this anymore. You broke all my toes. So I couldn't walk. So there were many times I was afraid for my life. At that point, he made me live and work out of the car, out of parks. Some nights I got lucky and there would be a porta poo that I could use, but most of the time there was nothing. And I ran again to the same shelter. They took me, they had a bed. But that same day, because he knew where I had been previously, started throwing what was left of my possessions at the building. They then told me I could no longer stay there as my presence there endangered all the other women. So now I'm really afraid because what am I going to do? What am I going to do? This guy's hopping mad to say the least. They transferred me to another shelter. And once I was there, two days into it, I was admitted to hospital with colitis. If you're away from the shelter for more than two nights, you're evicted. I'm standing on the front steps of the hospital once I've been discharged with nowhere to go but back to him. I was terrified. Terrified. I got burns all over me because they like to burn. I'm covered in burns. So there were many, 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 many times. Many times. I was afraid of customers. Like some of them would... Follow, I would stalk me. And at one point I was in a hotel room and they would chase me through the parking lot and they'd wake up in the morning and there'd be footprints on the outside of their door where they were trying to kick it in to get to me. To the degree that when this bad person walked in, I'd be like, oh, thank God you're here. That's how frightening it was at times. Better the devil you know than the one you don't. But it's a psychological thing. You become bonded, a Stockholm syndrome, Patty Hearst, all of that, right? I believed at that stage, the only reason I was alive was because of him. And that could be snuffed out that quick. She's taken that horrible life experience and now helps women who have been prostituted and explains to men why they shouldn't buy sex from trafficked women. If there is no demand, this is basic economics. If there's no demand, there's no need for supply. So if we criminalize it, there's no need for the supply. And people, because I do the John School and we talk to them all about this and They say, but she chose it. When there is no other choice, it was never a choice. And I tried to put it in layman's terms so that they can equate it. And I tell them, you've got your Porsche sitting in the front driveway. The mortgage is due. You've lost your job. The kids haven't eaten in a day and a half. 
All you have left to sell is the Porsche. Did you choose to sell it or did you have no choice to sell it? Oh, the light bulb goes off because they don't see us as human, as relatable. They don't get what they're doing, the harms that they're doing. Ending the demand for the purchase of sex from traffic women. It's not easy, but it's necessary, according to Megan Walker. She's the executive director of the London Abuse Women's Center. She says they need the help of law enforcement and the courts to accomplish that goal. We have an amazing piece of legislation, uh, a tool that we can use in Canada. It's the protection of um, communities and exploit, uh, exploited uh, persons act, which decriminalizes women who are um, in prostitution or who are being trafficked, but criminalizes sex purchasers. So it's really built around this model of supply and demand. And so as long as there's a demand for sexual services, traffickers will make sure uh, there's a supply readily available. So one of the things this legislation does is it reduces the demand for sexual services by criminalizing uh, sex purchasers or johns or whatever you want to call them, men who choose to actively pay women to rape them. That's who they are. Um, and so the best way I think we have of um, tackling the issue of trafficking is to really crack down on those men. Um, I think it's important that we um, ha see them charged and also their names released to the media. <clears throat> it's very important we do that because many of these, like this is a public safety issue. Many of these w men have jobs where they work with children or they're principals of schools or things of that nature. You know, and when you consider that some of the girls who are being exploited are 12 and 13 years old, I think the community has a, um, you know, has, has a right to know who these men are. So that's kind of, you know, we can do a lot of education around this issue, which we do, and it's important to do that. But as long as we continue to allow those men who are purchasing sexual services to get away with it, we're going to have a tough time ending trafficking. But one of the challenges is that women don't want to report or go through the process of testifying. Walker says there needs to be some modifications to that process. And men who continue to pay to rape and torture women continue to allow torture or traffickers to have what they call a stable of women uh, to make available to these men. So, you know... I would like to see there there be a big shift away from just focusing on arresting traffickers, um, but also but more so arresting men that continue to get um, demand services that allow uh, traffickers to provide that supply of service. Some people may shudder or wince at the term rape being used, but it's one that's used by survivors like Natalie. We've changed her name and her voice for the purposes of concealing her identity, but she was trafficked for over a year. Very, very few of the women think that they're choosing to do that. Um, it's not... It's not something, even if you're asking a woman like, oh, is this what you want to be doing? And they say yes. It's most likely a scripted answer. It's an answer that they've been told to give. Um, it's almost always 
a situation where it's a lack of options, whether it's situations like mine where it was completely like a complete blindside. This was not what I was expecting when I went into a, what I thought to be a regular job interview or women that answer job ads that may have red flags, but they've got nothing else left at that point. They're, they're either homeless or on the verge of losing their home. When your finances are so tight that that's your only option left, it's not an option. They'd rather be anywhere else than where they are right now. And I can guarantee you that no matter how good you think you are at sex, those women don't want to be near you. They don't want you to touch them. Sadly, stories like hers are common, and they'll continue to be common as long as women are a commodity for men who are trafficking them. Olivia Beadle is also a survivor of being trafficked. She thinks the process of testifying needs to change. She says it's not easy, and it's hard to get women to come forward and leave their trafficker, who they may somewhat think they depend on. If they weren't like how they are in the court system, I feel like I would have went to police about um, trafficking and the violence that I was going through. Um, but because I don't like the justice system so much and the process of how things are done in the courtroom and how victims are, you know, treated like they're liars until the person that's in trouble is proven guilty. Um, I feel like there's not enough support for victims and there's more support for the person that is going to, supposed to be going to jail. Um, I feel like I would have got help faster if I didn't know how the justice system was. I still haven't laid any charges on my sex trafficker for sex trafficking me, given that all that stuff and the things that sex traffickers endure witness, it's just going to be very, when you go to court for that, it's very hard. And I was in it for three years, so um, I just decided... Sometimes I, I want to, and then other times I'm just like, it's probably not worth losing myself to just do that, um, unless the justice system was able to change a bit. Um, with the violence, the police ended up um, being a witness to the violence. So at that point, I started to have hope in the justice system because the police actually helped me. Um, so the, the doctors, um, when my hand broke, the doctors told me that I need to go to walk. So I went to London Abuse Women's Center. I wouldn't have otherwise. And the police helped a lot with, you know, being a witness to um, what happened. And they made it clear that when you have evidence like this, it's um, the, there's usually a lot of justice is served. So it seemed hopeful. I'm still in the court process right now, so we will see. Um, but I try to have hope in it. I really do. Um, but I know that a lot of women, they don't, they don't get what they are supposed to be getting out of the justice system. Ending demand means harsher punishments, yes. But doesn't it also mean that showing men that buying sex from women being trafficked is just not the right thing to do? That's what Pew Roberts does at the Salvation Army's John School. It's an education program for men who have purchased sex. They spend an entire day with us. The Crown comes in and talks to them about the ramifications of a second offense. 
Middlesex Health Unit comes in and shows them graphic photographs of what their um, sexual organs can look like if they pick up an STI because they're refusing to wear protection and the traffickers are not allowing the woman to. I'm seeing massive cases of throat herpes now, not mouth, throat. The um, police come in. Now what happens is there's not a lot of stings, John stings. So it, this guy could have been bust six months ago. This one was bust yesterday, but they're all in the same class. And the police will come in and say, they face forward and they say to the first guy, now, sir, why are you here today? And the first guy always, without fail, looks left or right and goes, I was trying to pick up a hitchhiker. The police officer says, sir, I'm the one that arrested you. Shall we try again? Why are you here today? <laughs> and by the time they get to the second guy, they're all telling the truth. Um, I get up and speak. And I talk to them. You know, I hear them saying all the time, variety is the spice of life. I've heard that so many times. You know what? If you need variety, use the other hand. Do not cheat. Okay? They say, but I'm helping put food on her table. I'm helping her buy diapers. Oh, so you care about her. Yes. And why did you make her earn it? Why didn't you buy her the diapers? Why didn't you give them to her? Why did you make her earn it if you care? These men are not heroes. They aren't helping these women who have been trafficked. They're just lining the pockets of criminals. Sadly, however, men who take advantage of women will not stop doing it so long as it's profitable for them. That's why Natalie told Blackburn News that more supports for these women are needed. Canada-wide, so that it's consistent and that every woman or girl that walks through those doors gets the same amount of support and that these agencies are not having to constantly beg the government to fund them so that they can keep their doors open. And another key, according to Pew Roberts, is housing, giving people a place to go once they leave their trafficker. We have to educate the young so that we create a, a, a culture that doing this behavior is unthinkable. Before that gets done, because that's going to take at least a generation, prosecuting the, the buyers, creating safe housing for these women and um, supporting them for not six months or a year, however long it takes. And that means career training, addictions, mental health, and peer support. The takeaway from this podcast series should be that sex trafficking is not a victimless crime. It is very real and it's happening in your community. If you're thinking about buying sex from a woman who has been trafficked, think of someone like Natalie. Think of Olivia. Think of Caroline. Think of the stories they've told in this podcast. Think about what they've gone through. Ask yourself whether you want to be part of a story like theirs that somebody else is telling someday. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was produced by Haley Chang, Patrick Magermans, Jessica Stokes, Taylor Dixon, and Scott Kitching. It was written by Craig Needles. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.